Welcome to the Health and Wealth Power Hour, the podcast provides you with the knowledge and insights you need to achieve physical, mental, and financial well-being. I'm your host, Arlen Pickett, a business consultant who's passionate about helping people achieve a more balanced and healthier life. Each week, we'll deep dive into topics related to health and wealth, including retirement income planning, innovative healthcare solutions, alternative funded health plans, and specific actions individuals and business owners can take to gain control of their finances, have access to affordable quality health care, and achieve peace of mind. We'll also be joined by innovative experts who will share their knowledge and insights on prevalent topics. So, whether you're looking to grow your wealth or improve your health, you've come to the right place. Get ready to be informed, inspired, and empowered. Let's get started. Well, how about that? It is time for what? Another edition of the Health and Wealth Power Hour. I am your host, Harlan Pickett. It is such an honor and a privilege to have you with us today. Every single time you listen, it sets my heart aflutter because I am so happy we are able to reach people and give them insights on so many things across the spectrum of health and wealth. If you've listened very often, you know there is no corner left unturned. Who knows who we'll talk to next. But today we're going to kind of get back into something that's very, very near and dear to my heart. If you have been around me very much, if you've ever followed me anywhere on LinkedIn, Facebook, or any of the other social media sites, you know what a big proponent of direct primary care I am. Well, today we have a chief influencer of that direct primary care movement with us, and that is Gail Brecky. She is with us today to really help dig into this, talk about some of the really roadblocks that some physicians find in their way. And here's what's very interesting. The biggest roadblock is their mindset. She's going to talk about that today and help you understand. So maybe you can either help yourself or help others overcome that and help really push forward this direct primary care movement. Uh, Gail has a PhD in health policy and management. She has worked 20 years as a health actuary. Ooh, it just shivers up my spine thinking about health actuary. That's terrifying. Uh, Her uh, primary business is her, she is the founder of Primary Care Mindset. And she also has a podcast called Nurturing the Heart of Family Practice. It helps DPC doctors understand direct primary care and helps them hopefully make that change into a more fulfilling and client-focused or patient-focused system such as direct primary care. Gail, welcome aboard the Health and Wealth Power Hour. Thank you so much, Harlan. It's great to be here. We have followed each other and communicated across LinkedIn for quite a while now. Uh, We certainly uh, know we're uh, going down the same direction as far as direct primary care, but you take a very different, while I help direct primary cares fill in that little gap, and I do say little gap because yes, there are some major things that can happen to you, but direct primary care takes care of 80 to 90% of all your needs. But the question that always happens is the what ifs. So we help answer that what if, but you help them get there to begin with. You help them make that transition that can be so difficult because they have been just like the American public's been brainwashed to think you have to have health insurance to get health care. Doctors also fall into that trap in a very different way. Yes, absolutely. Um, and and I appreciate the shout out about mindset because I 
really do believe that mindset is the key to everything, not only with the physicians and the other folks who work in primary care, but certainly the patients, the general public, employers. And I'm becoming more interested in the mindset of, you know, kind of the movers and shakers, if you will, the policy makers, the thinkers, the academics, the people that are trying to drive the direction of healthcare reform, if you will. Um, because I think that the way we all think about healthcare and particularly the financing and delivery of healthcare is such a huge part of why we're in the place where we are with a very challenging system, more and more complicated all the time, very confusing, very expensive. And one of the things that has really piqued my interest over the years is how much time and energy and resources we have spent trying to make this better over many decades. And if anything, it's just getting worse and worse. And we're coming to the point as one of, uh, as a good friend of mine says, we're coming to the point where everybody realizes we're about out of road. We're about out of, if not beyond out of road with what our, our country can tolerate and how unsustainable and expensive it is. And yet we just keep going back to the same old tired ideas. And so that's really why I'm focusing on mindset. And so I, I thank you for the, the shout out about my podcast. Um, that's one area where I'm focusing on the mindset of family docs to think about their training, why they went into medicine, what they envisioned doing and being and how they envisioned taking care of patients. And they certainly are, are very quick to admit um, to themselves and to all of us how different it is in the system to practice family medicine, to be employed, um, to be under the thumb of bureaucracy and everybody and not have a chance to take care of the patients they, the way they want to, the way they always envisioned. So it's really about helping them see direct primary care, understand what it offers, and consider how much better their life would be and their patients, of course, would be better off in that model. Um, so it's really all about how we think about it. Yeah, there is no doubt about it that and let, let, let's let's talk about a little bit more about how that has impacted whenever you you look at the burnout we hear about this when you look at what's happened on the direct primary care side unfortunately we've lost a lot of folks in the direct primary care side that have just completely got out of the medical industry but it's not just that it's the fact that so few medical students are now going down that route as well and that's causing, I mean, the, the crisis is, is real. It's, it's not like an imaginary crisis in primary care. It's a real crisis. And when you're seeing such a few number, like, I mean, I think last year, they, the folks in that are truly in the primary care world were hoping for about 25% of the folks coming out of medical school to choose primary care and then 6% chose 6%. Well, that doesn't even come close to replacing those that have stepped away. Right. So when you have, when you have less coming in than you're losing, that's obviously 
a downward trend. That, that, that's that's yeah. not surprising. I don't even need a graph for someone to see that, right? Less coming in that are going out, downward trend. But the overall mindset, right? That's the mindset because mm -hmm. the mindset of that student then is higher workload, less control of my future, lower pay because primary care gets less reimbursement across the board from insurance, from Medicare, from Medicaid, from every single place, they get less compensation. Why would I go down that path? Why would I put myself in that situation? Exactly. That has to be a huge part of why so few are choosing family medicine and other primary care uh, specialties is because they hear, they see the reports, they hear about it um, on the, the regular media and the healthcare media, and they talk to colleagues, they talk to people at conferences, and, and they're very, you know, interested in trying to figure out where they should be going, uh, what they should go into, you know, what to look forward to for their, their career. And of course, they're shying away from family medicine and internal medicine and all of that, because it just sounds terrible when you hear about terms, not only burnout, but moral injury, yeah. which is a, a term that was created to describe the experience of being a soldier during wartime, when you know your situation is forcing you to do things that are against your values and against right. your beliefs and against what you prefer to do. And so, of course, they're not going into it. But I think direct primary care is offering such a breath of fresh air and in fact, I feel like based on my research and talking to people and studying it for a number of years, that direct primary care is really the revolutionary idea that is like a breakthrough innovation that is that could disrupt everything. Um, and so I think about it in terms of the uh, the scholarship around just innovation in general. There's disruptive innovation, and um, there's also kind of the flip side is you know small tweaks to make things a little bit better here and there, like improvements to the way you do your business and making it a little bit faster and a little bit better. But then there's disruptive innovations, and I think DPC is in that category. I think it's in that category along with things that we think of in terms of changing the course of history, like the printing press. And one of my favorites, which is not necessarily a widely known story, but the story of the shipping container, how we went from focusing on trying to do it a little bit better, a little bit faster, and somebody stepped back and said, how are we, you know, this doesn't make sense. Let's rethink what we're trying to deliver. Um, and it's a little bit the same idea as like the iPhone. You know, some of these things that were completely revolutionary because a few people stepped back and said, what are we really trying to do here? Are we really trying to pack in more cargo and use up this least space as possible on a ship? Or are we trying to do it as fast and efficiently as we can? And it was a complete game changer. Um, and it, it is an interesting history to, to look at that example, but I think all of us certainly are familiar with things like um, Netflix and the iPhone and the printing press. 
And really, if you study innovation and the kind of thinking that goes in into innovation and the kind of results that come out of that, DPC really fits the bill. Um, so I think that's another interesting angle at which to think about it. That That's very good point because it's fixing a number of different things, right? You, you've got the, the one providing the service, okay? This providing the service, really the same service, right? They're providing in a different way, but now they're providing it in a, in a more holistic, um, holistic way. They're providing it the way they were actually trained to do. They're providing it in a relationshipal, if that's even a word, a relationshipal, it is now, uh, <laughs> way that they didn't get to have, that they, they wanted to have. Remember, they actually chose primary care because they were promised a relationship with the client, with the patient. They were promised a relationship by going down this road because that's what family medicine and primary care is about. But they were lied to whenever they got into the system and they were only given five minutes or less to spend with that person. You can't develop a relationship. And then they were incentivized to not have one because they need to get as many people through as they can and they need to refer them to somebody else. Mm -hmm. That is not what they signed up for. And once again, it's the moral bankruptcy that happens in that in that situation where they know that the answer is not giving another medication or the answer is not sending to a specialist, but that's all they're given time to do. So mm -hmm. you've got that side of it. This is the one providing the service. And then you've got the other side where 61% of Americans now don't even go to a doctor unless they're sick. Wow. Don't even go. I've talked to a gentleman earlier today that says, I never go unless I'm sick. And then I need to see that I'm really, really sick before I actually go to the doctor. And then, and here's the key. And then I just go to the ER. Mm -hmm. Yep. You're not that sick, buddy. He wasn't that. And he even admitted, no, I'm just finally, I just don't want to have to wait around. He said, I usually do have to wait some, but my wife's work. So they've got this app and I can get in line at the, at the ER. So usually I only have to wait 15 or 20 minutes. Oh, man. Seriously? <laughs> That's the worst thing ever that the, the insurance that your uh, um, wife's company has. And I said, are you sure it's not an urgent care? He goes, oh, no, we go to the Methodist ER. Okie dokie. Wow. And they love it. They're super happy that you're here. Yes, they are. Your employer, your wife's employer's health plan, not so happy that you're there. But he doesn't understand, right? He doesn't get it. Um, because we started talking about direct primary care. He says, you know what? I met somebody in a networking thing that talked about that, but I don't get it. I don't, why would I pay somebody if I'm not going there? Yep. Because yep. when you wanted to go there, it wouldn't cost you $2,500. It wouldn't even cost you that for the whole year. Mm -hmm. And when you went, it wouldn't cost you anything. And you would have a relationship with that doctor. And you probably could have picked up your phone and text that doctor and told him what was going on days before, before you got so sick, you went to the HR. And you would have never got so sick. You would have went to the HR, to the ER. So right. there's so many things there that, you know, it, it benefits both sides so much. And, and I, I told him this too. I said, here's, here's the bad thing about DPC, the bad part of it. Once you get in it, you're never going to want to get out. <laughs> Is that bad? It's really not bad. But when you tell somebody it's going to be such a different experience, you're never going to want to leave it. If they've never done it, they're like, well, I don't know about that. But I've seen it too many times. I've referred too many clients into it. I've had too many folks that we work with that went to DPC and everyone's the same way. Where has this been all my life?
Yep. Another question. I, I, this is a real question. I, did, I just thought about this a second ago. Have you ever seen an unhappy DPC doctor, a doctor that switched into the <laughs> DPC realm? Have you ever seen a burned out, unhappy, morally bankrupt DPC doctor? No, certainly not. I, I mean, not that I know them all or have heard every possible situation. Right. The experience of the physician is something that really got me interested in DPC, you know, a long time ago now because it was such a fundamentally different experience. So living here in Kansas City, it's where the American Academy of Family Physicians is located. And so for many years, when the DPC Summit, the conference they have about DPC every summer, that was held in Kansas City for a long time, just because it's where the AAFP happens to be. And living here, I just, you know, was starting to hear about DPC. And I just went over there one year and what I experienced as just an observer going into this conference, this meeting where all these doctors were that had switched to DPC or were hearing about it and were intrigued, they were so excited about what they were doing. They, it just blew me away that this is a conference, this is a professional conference, and they were so excited and so happy and they couldn't tell you enough about how great it was. And that convinced me that there has to be something here. I have to learn more about this. Um, so I think the the experience of it for both the doctor and the patient is so phenomenally different and so much better. That's why I think that we could honestly describe it as a revolutionary idea. It's so completely different. Um, and to me, one of the most important things about it as well is it's not just about primary care. It sets the stage for everything after that to be dramatically better as well. Because right. if you're taking care of people properly in primary care the way it's supposed to be, you have much lower need for any kind of specialty care. Um, people are healthier. People are more satisfied with their relationship. They have someone they trust. They're going to take their problems to their primary care doc first. And most of the time, they're going to be able to resolve it or at least help them navigate if they do need something downstream. So you're going to reduce all of the downstream services that are needed all across the board um, for all different sorts of patients, whether they tend to be healthy or whether they have a lot of chronic conditions and a lot of problems. Um, I, I really do think it's it's a game changer for the entire system. No, you're you're a hundred percent on. It, it was interesting. We were at the Hint Conference in San Diego this year, uh, which of course lots of DPC doctors there. And one of the doctors up on stage said, "You guys don't get it. You don't understand how different this is to be a, around a bunch of clinicians and do, you know doctors and PAs and nurse practitioners that are all in this type frame of mind." And he said, "We go to a regular uh, industry uh, conference that is full of traditional doctors." And it's the most stoic, boring, no one talks to each other. You know, you may see a friend there from, from medical school that you talk to, but there's nothing. There's no joy. There's no excitement. And you come to this and you come to such as the one you were talking about. And everyone is super excited. Everyone is there to lift each other up and help each other up. And if someone's starting to practice, because there were some folks there considering it, 
they're just bombarded. They're just, they've got so many new friends that are over there trying to explain and help them understand and give them, in some cases, even financial backing to get them to help that, to get to make that move and, and explain to them what a difference it's going to be in their life. And once again, most of these, you can't say all because there's never 100% of anything, but most of these family doctors got into this because they wanted that relationship and they wanted to make a difference in people's lives. The traditional system doesn't allow them to do that. But it's not just in that family. What I have also seen and also met, and I'm sure you have too, Gail, there are specialty doctors that got so sick of the system, they dropped back and went into direct primary care as well because yep. they were trapped in the system even as a specialist and they saw what they were being asked to do. And mm -hmm. that is the end result in these systems, the end result we really need some surgery. We really need some surgery, buddy. So uh, as you start referring, we need to some kind of procedure, some kind of something that can make us more money. And I've listened to him say, I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Once again, morally bankrupt. The system itself yep. is designed to be morally bankrupt. There is no morals. Otherwise, you wouldn't get people that are absolutely, uh, that their insurance company gets to decide they don't need a treatment that their doctor said they would, and they end up not making it because they were not allowed to do that. That means the that not just the healthcare side, but the insurance side is the, the whole thing is driven by profit. The, the morals have been gone for a, a long, long time. Yeah. Yes, uh, totally. That's, and that's a tough I mean deal. I do have to jump in here because I think sometimes people that favor things like single payer tend to say things like it's too profit driven. And I understand where they're coming from, but I think I would have maybe a slightly different way of looking at it in that the reason we've gotten to the point where the quote profit can overtake the integrity and all of that is because everything is so upside down and backwards that the the normal consumer, the regular patient, the you know the people, the consumers have almost no ability to impact anything because there's so much power and bureaucracy everywhere um, that the individual person has almost no ability to impact anything. And all of the incentives and, and everything is so convoluted and messed up because we're way over collectivized because we use insurance way too much. Yep. And as a consequence, all of the normal economic forces aren't able to be in play the way they are for all other goods and services in the economy. So even though we have other kinds of places where we have really large companies that, you know, that are driven to maximize their profit and, and please the shareholders, they still have to answer at the end of the day to the consumer. But in healthcare, unless you are completely separated from the so-called system, you, you as an individual person and even an individual doctor that's trying to advocate for a patient have almost no power really to get anything that actually makes sense for you. Um, although I am hopeful actually that things are getting better. I think there's, um, and I have a small example with my own care from a few years ago that I was really surprised and pleased when I needed a procedure 
that I called the local um, academic medical center and said, I need this procedure. Can you give me a price? Because I'm essentially a cash paying customer. I have a health share, but I want to get, you know, I want to know the price. Um, and, you know, a little bit selfishly as a researcher, I wanted to see what they were going to say to me and sure. how I was going to be treated <laughs> and what the number was going to be. And so I was actually very surprised and pleased that they understood what I was asking. They had a price at the ready. They didn't give me the runaround, which I think they would have done, you know, sometime in the past. It was practically impossible for people to make a call and get a price. Yep. They would give you the runaround. Well, we don't know what your insurance is going to pay. We don't know this and that, um, which is, of course, not how any other business operates. But they gave me a price that they had at the ready for such a request, and it was a good price. I bumped it up against the prices on the Surgery Center of Oklahoma's website, and I'm like, this is a good price. Um, so to me, that means... Well, first of all, they're treating me as a customer. Um, so I was super happy with that. Uh, we still have you know, a tremendous distance to go. We still have huge barriers and obstacles in the whole hospital price transparency challenge that's been going on for years now. And you know, I think they're still not really giving us the data and releasing the data the way they're supposed to be. Um, but I do feel like they're starting to notice that people are trying to behave as consumers, trying to make better choices for themselves. Well, you know, if you have enough people call asking that question, eventually someone, the person getting that call is going to say, why do we have so many people asking this? Now, I can never give them this information, you know, sometime eventually, maybe, and uh, you know, it, it takes me back to something that uh, Dr. Smith told me on one of our either our visits or when we were on the podcast. I, I don't remember. But he said, you know, it used to be that the hospitals in Oklahoma City would not even talk to him. Mm -hmm. he, he would call them and say, I would love to get a, you know, because sometimes people need inpatient, right? That's not what he does. It's not inpatient. He would call them. They wouldn't even talk to him. They wouldn't even give him a price. They did not want to participate whatsoever. Now they call him. They call him saying, hey, can we be your friend? Hey, we can give you some prices. <laughs> uh, so the message is getting out there. You're right, Gail. The message is getting out there. It's trickling through the system. But I think part of that is this in this entire movement, because if you're out there and you're, you know, you've probably heard about direct primary care before. If you've ever listened to this, I promise you, you have. If you ever listened to Gail, you have. If you're new to it, I, I, there's plenty of places you can go out and find more. We're not going to have to go. We're not going to go through the whole model. Just understand it's a million times better. You, you'd be shocked at how wonderful it is. But what the question usually happens, and I know you've heard this too, Gail, is, but what about the what ifs? What if I need something else? Well, here's where things have got so good that direct primary care is really advancing even more. We have a number of doctors in specialty world. There's such a thing now, folks, called direct specialty care. That's right. There's doctors out there that do neurology or endocrinology or orthopedics. There's doctors out there that now have the same type of model, but for specialty care. Then there's also 
it's not just Dr. Keith Smith out there at the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. There's a number of facilities across the country that accept cash, and most of them actually do not accept insurance at all. They don't work with Medicare. They don't work with Medicaid. They're strictly there for folks like Gail and myself that pay cash for stuff, that have uh, medical cost sharing. Maybe you fall in that as well. You're a cash pay customer. You're a shopper. Would you go out and buy a 70-inch, 80-inch, 82-inch TV without knowing what the price was? If they said, hey, I'll bring that to you next Thursday, would you not ask the question before you walked out the door about how much it was? Would you allow them to send you a bill later? Of course you wouldn't because that bill would be astronomical. You'd wonder why you were paying $4,500 for the same thing you could have paid $850 for because that was the cash price. But there's so many different ways that direct primary care can now lead you through their network of friends. Uh, you know, Dr. Keith Smith is uh, one of the founding members of the Free Market Medical Association. Go out to fmma.org and look, you can go out and find services all around the country from people that are cash friendly, that have right there listed on their site exactly what the services will be. There's many other ones out there that you can do that as well. So if you're worried about direct primary care because you don't know how to fill in the what ifs, you mentioned it earlier, Gail, you don't have to have insurance these days to actually get good quality health care. I've said it many times. I'm sure you have too. Most yeah. people that have insurance are locked into where they have to go and have no control over what those services are going to be. Mm -hmm. When you don't have insurance and you take a more uh, advocate and you take a more uh, hands-on approach to your care, you can save literally thousands and upon ten thousands of dollars in services, not have those high costs, and really be protected better because the insurance company is not your friend. They're yeah, not your I, friend. That's, that's absolutely so true. And I mean, there's a number of different you know ways you could look at it. You could think about it in terms of the MP, the people that have coverage through work for themselves or their you know through their spouse or you know, whatever those situations might be. And in some ways, I think some of those are less bad than if you're on Medicaid oh, or if you have an exchange plan or something like that. Yeah. But just realize there are a lot more options now. And I love what you said about the specialists. And I get really excited when I see all the things on LinkedIn and Twitter and people talking about you know, what they're doing, how they're setting up their practice. And some are cash only, or they don't take any kinds of third parties. Some have just found ways to kind of do both and to be very open to cash paying patients, but yet participate in some networks that are, you know, a little bit better and to be able to serve their community better. And it's really exciting to see all the different kinds of specialists. And it's not even just physicians in medical care. It's a lot of behavioral health. Um, there's, you know, therapists and counselors and a lot of those, those folks, you know, they're PhD trained and they're excellent at what they do. And for, you know, $75 cash for a 50 minute session, you know, that's very affordable for a lot of people. And, you know, so you don't have to just think that, Everything has to be on insurance if you need some kind of care, whether it's behavioral health, whether it's a specialist like a cardiologist or a neurologist, whether it's a podiatrist or physical therapy is another one. 
Um, I've, I've done, I've needed some physical therapy as I'm getting older and <laughs> things aren't as, that don't work the way they used to. And, you know, I found just the most fantastic um, doctor. Um, he's, it's not, a, they're not physicians, but they essentially have a PhD in what they do. Um, and he was excellent, um, very open to cash. And then he would, you know, work on my shoulder and we would talk about how terrible the healthcare system is. So, you know, I get a bonus out of it, but very affordable compared to how much you're going to be paying for insurance that covers that. Um, right. And that's sort of a thing, you know, yes, if you need it over a long period of time, it could tend to become more catastrophic for you. But it's almost a little bit more like dental care or something, you know, a little bit closer to primary care where these things that are mostly office visits, mostly time with the doctor, it's not a lot of procedures, it's not a lot of, you know, really expensive treatments. For most Americans, these things are affordable if you go to the practitioners that have their practice set up to take care of you and not, you know, not needing to charge you multiple times what their costs are because they have to pay all these people to do paperwork. Um, so it really is exciting to see all the different kinds of people that are that are open to this or totally embracing it for the practice. Yeah, you're exactly right. We've had people um, here in the San Antonio area where I'm where I'm at. Uh, we have a lot of marketplace clients from history. Uh, from years ago, I did marketplace. I still help some of those folks out. But of course, what we've seen is a dramatic change in those plans with high deductibles, high copays. I mean, some of them are just ridiculous. I had a client this past year that needed physical therapy. Copay, she did it three times a week. For three weeks, copay was $125 per visit. That's a cash price for the whole thing. I'm not going. I'm not going. I was like, well, hold on a second. Let me get you in touch with one of our local members of the Free Market Medical Association in San Antonio. I got her in touch with that individual. $250 bundled price for three weeks of physical therapy. Wow. Nice. So two visits. Got it. Got her two visits. Wouldn't even got her a week of physical therapy. Instead, it got her three weeks of physical therapy, and she was needless to say happy, and everything went well. You know, I, I talk about this, and I wonder if you've heard this as well. People's concern about direct primary care, specialty care, some of these other things is they think they're going to get inferior care, right? They think they're going to have to go down the back alley and there's going to be a little sliding door and someone looks out and you got to have the, the you know, the password or it scans your eye or something like that. <clears throat> and then you go through the back door and, you know, they're taking care of the other folks up in the front, but you're in the back in the dark room where they just use one light to check you out. And it couldn't be further from the case what you're, really getting is just the opposite of that. You're coming in the front door and you're getting the priority and you're getting the more time with the doctor. But the biggest problem, and I, and I say all that because the biggest problem with direct primary care, it's, it's almost too good to be true. People still have that thought process. Is Have you run into that as well? I, I was in that camp when I first learned about it. I'm like, okay, this sounds really great. 
you know, this doctor that wrote this article, you know, that sounds really great, but there's got to be something here. There's got to be a hidden dark side that, you know, so I was like looking everywhere trying to figure out, okay, what's the catch? What's the, you know, what's the hidden bad thing or, you know, and I'm, I'm still looking for it. I mean, I don't think there is anything, <laughs> but I've been looking for years and years and, and I just, it's just not there. And I love this, you know, the image that you talked about with the, you know, really sketchy, you know, back alley, you know, entry point to have the coded password and all this. Um, I've, I've actually kind of been interested in and paid a lot of attention just because it was so striking to me when I first became really interested in it, I would go to practices and talk to doctors in their office, their DPC practice, and you go in and it's so inviting. It's so modern. It's so personal. It's just this wonderful, welcoming place. There's plants and beautiful decor and everybody's got their own personality and it's so welcoming. It doesn't feel clinical. It doesn't feel cold. It's just, you know, and then you realize that these doctors are so happy to be free of all the nonsense and they're able to do what they want. They're, they're able to make their patients feel welcome and to, you know, share their hobby with pictures on the wall of them fishing or whatever it might be. And it's just, you know, this to me feels like this is how a small business should be. I mean, they're sharing themselves you know, it, they're part of their community. It's very welcoming. And it's, it's almost just something that I almost want to research that, like how different these practices feel to just walk in the door. And, you know, if there are some chairs in a waiting area, it's just a couple of chairs, you know, just in case there's a family member or somebody has to wait for a few minutes. And, you know, there are times when they get busy, of course, you know, during cold and flu season and all of that. But it's not the kind of experience that um, too many of us have accepted in the so-called healthcare system. You're exactly right. And I think about my experiences at going visiting different DPCs, and even the the one, of course, that we go to, the wait is almost non-existent. And uh, you know, it, not just in the waiting room, but in the exam room. Mm -hmm. And the exam room. There's not a, a table with a plastic top with paper over the top of it. No, there's like this oversized recliner that you hang out in until someone comes in and hangs out with you, you know? And so it, it's just such a different experience. But let's get back to what we talked about just a second ago. And that is what people kind of are afraid of, right? They're afraid that it's going to be a negative experience and I got to go down the back alley, all of that, that it's too good to be true. What have you seen or heard about? Doctors, actual clinicians, doctors, whether that's the physician that's starting this practice or a PA or an NP, whoever's kind of stepping into this, what have you heard on that side about them having the same problem? Once again, back to mindset. It's too good to be true. It cannot be all of these things because that then is what I was after. And I, I can't believe it would be that easy to get it. <laughs> what have you heard on that side? Yeah, I I honestly have not talked to anyone who has switched and has said, you know, this just wasn't what I thought. You know, it was way 
you know, too good to be true in the, in terms of everybody was making it sound great, but it really does, you know, it really is almost as bad as before. I have not encountered anyone like that. Um, but what about the ones that are considering it and their mindset, they can't get, they, they can't grasp that it's that good. So I yeah. understand, I get it. When the ones are there, they're there. But what have yeah. you seen? I mean, this is part of your mission. I know yeah. is to yeah. help folks understand it's real. It's yeah. real over I, here. To me, what I see is they like all the stuff that we've been focusing on in terms of they have time for patience and, you know, they have the autonomy and, you know, patients are going to love it. It's going to be better for patients. They're going to have their work-life balance back. I think they get all of that and they grab onto that. And that feels like it's worth considering making the change. But some of them are in employment situations where it feels like this is just too hard. I'm going to have to face, you know, moving out of a 20 mile radius or whatever it is for their non-compete and like some of those kind of things that feel like it's a big obstacle. There are people that don't have any interest in running a business, um, which I mean, certainly there are all kinds of DPC docs that are looking to take on another clinician. Um, so now I think we're at the point where some of those objections, some of those barriers go away. I think one of the big ones is still their notion that it's going to take a lot of time to build up the panel. They've got these big med school debts that to face, or they're going to want to buy a house pretty soon. They're going to be getting married or they just got married. They're going to be having kids. They've, you know, they really want to start the life of the physician and in terms of the lifestyle and they're worried about being able to you know take out a mortgage and you know all of those things when the the business side or the the income side feels like it has some uncertainty to it um and i think to me i certainly don't dismiss those concerns those are very real things that have to be overcome and dealt with but on the other hand, I think we're at a point now where so many docs have gone through so many of these obstacles that there's, you know, there's 10 people just waiting to tell them how they got through it, to share ideas, to help them out. Um, so I don't think there's any of that that's at this point insurmountable. Uh, but it's still a fear. It's still a fear that they have. So it's about the mindset, um, not only do I talk about mindset in terms of how we think about things, how we think about, does it make sense to use insurance to pay for something like primary care when it's all routine, it's all inexpensive, it's all predictable, um, but also mindset in terms of believing in ourselves. Um, I think about you know inspirational stories, inspirational people from history, um, that, you know, just made so many um, sacrifices or just were really brave in facing something or speaking out for something, speaking out against an injustice or just doing something really difficult. And it all comes down to the individual believing that the thing that they want is worth it and believing that they can do it. Um, so really, a lot of it is this you know, I don't know how to describe it exactly, but I think about it sometimes in terms of just thinking about yourself as an individual. What do I individually want and how do I get that? 
instead of, you know, I think the way that uh, folks in medical school are kind of uh, socialized, if you will, is that everything is about the collective and about, you know, we as a medical profession and as the healthcare system, you know, all together, like we have to all move together. We can't think for ourselves. We should just do what we are told where, you know, to me, mindset, part of what I'm trying to promote is just this belief that each of us, whether you're a doctor or a patient or any other type of person, we can affect our situation. We can choose differently. We can do um, things that are hard and things that take a lot of action and a lot of perseverance if we think the payoff is worth it. Um, so it's really about believing that we can do, you know, we can switch our practice, believing it'll be okay, believing I can find the answers, I can get through this. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a great point. And you know, I, I want to go back to, to the mindset thing. And I want to, I want to point something out that also is, I, I, if you had this issue, maybe this will help you understand another take on this. In the last two to three years, there has been a huge movement that has caused distrust of the medical industry for different reasons, just I, I'm not going to get into the political side of this, but there's been a huge push of not trusting what physicians say. I will tell you from my personal experience, and Gail, I'd like to hear what your thing is too. That same mindset from patients, from members, has not been in the direct primary care world. The relationships that were developed there prior to these situations and even during these situations, because we saw a huge uptick in the participation in direct primary care during the last two to three years. The relationship there and the fact that you had someone you could trust to give you advice on your situation, not mm -hmm. everyone else's situation, on your individual situation that makes all the difference in the world so don't uh, both from a doctor point out there guys and from the clientele side of it the patient side of it do not short sell that relationship part because that is what's going to get you healthy i know that sounds crazy but that's what's going to get you healthy if you're the doctor that's what's going to get you healthy because that's what's oh. going to get you away from that you're burned out. You you don't mm -hmm. you, you don't have any control. You're morally bankrupt. That's what's going to get a, get you healthy again is that relationship. If you're that patient, that relationship with your doctor, where you're telling the doctor things that you didn't tell your other doctor because you didn't trust them to do mm -hmm. what was best because you kept it a secret, and so you never got better. You just got worse until you finally had to tell somebody. But that was the ER doctor on that twenty thousand dollar ER visit. Mm -hmm. that relationship means that you trusted that doctor to help you with this situation. You know, there's a lot of untreated depression and anxiety and things in this country because people won't talk to it, talk about it. If you've got that relationship, even with your primary care doctor, guess what? You guys are going to be shocked to hear this. They're trained for it. They're trained to talk to you about anxiety and depression and things. And the answer is not just throw medication at you. That's not what direct primary care doctors do. 
you if you don't have an understanding of the training that they have, it's it's amazing. They're truly a holistic doctor. People talk about holistic medicine all the time, but a real family primary care doctor is trained on all of these things. We're not we're not stating something that's not true. They're going to be able to take 85 to 95% of the things that are going on in your life, even chronic things that you have going on, chronic conditions, and take care of those without you having to see anybody else. It's a game yeah. changer. You are totally singing my song. I, I really have to, I'm almost chuckling to myself a little bit because all of the research backs up what you're talking about. And sometimes I feel like I'm you know, one of the only voices in, you know, I guess one toe in academia still, but I feel like I'm, you know, alone sometimes in the voices of people that are saying primary care is uniquely valuable to the healthcare system, to the doctor and the patient. It is unique because they are generalists. They have a whole person focus. They need to have relationship. And if you set it up, if you use a structure that allows primary care to do what it's supposed to do, which is the structure is DPC, the structure is not using insurance, but doing some type of structure, some type of an approach where you're either paying cash as you go, but even better is the membership type of structure, the flat modest monthly fee for unlimited access um, is really in a lot of ways has so many benefits for everyone. Um, but that is the way to free up the doctor so they can do primary care the way that they want to and they're trained to and they're supposed to. And when I say I feel sometimes like I'm the only voice out here saying this is what primary care needs to succeed. You need to get the third parties out of the way. No middlemen, because it just feels sometimes like, you know, the leadership, for lack of a better word, of primary care organizations is so, and I'm, I know it's mindset and I don't know exactly why they are there, but they don't even consider that primary care could not only be successful, but work so much better if you don't have the third parties in the practice between the doctor and the patient. But for whatever reason, they're so embedded in the status quo thinking of the system that you have to all be part of the system um, that they don't seem to be able to think about primary care being a unique aspect. They're not just specialists. Primary care is its own thing. And the way I think about it is it really isn't even in the, the quote system. It's before the system. I mean, really the idea of primary care is to prevent and avoid downstream care, hospital care, surgeries, um, you know, things where people's chronic conditions are not under control because they don't have primary care. I mean, that's the power of primary care. And sometimes I feel like I'm trying to shout that <laughs> from the rooftops and the people who, you know, lead or have a role in primary care, they don't see it. They talk about how great family medicine is, but they let the third parties be in there and they let insurance be in there. And that's what mucks everything up. 
So, you know, it's great to hear you kind of say all the things about primary care and how important it is, because that's really, I feel like a big part of my mission is just talking about primary care from the standpoint of a an observer. I'm an outsider in the sense that I don't have medical training. I'm not in the system or of the system. I'm more like somebody who has some training that's relevant to the insurance side, to the research side, um, and I'm very interested in it. And I'm very motivated to get other people to, you know, kind of see what I see and dialogue so that we together can figure out how to make this better instead of each of us going down our silos and our way of thinking and not trying to connect together and, you know, all work together to make it better. Because that's really, I think at the end of the day, why I'm so focused right now on the mindset of the policymakers, the thought leaders, the uh, the folks that are trying to shape legislation and, and shape things from the top, from, you know, kind of the, the rules and the, you know, the government and the, you know, CMS and all of that. Um, if we could get some of those folks to engage with us and look at it from a different angle and, you know, kind of flip everything right side up instead of upside down the way that they like to think of it. It could be so amazingly powerful if the efforts of some of those people that are doing all of the work to come up with new programs for CMS to lower readmissions or you know, to analyze this data or to make doctors click that kind of a box on an EMR and get more data to look at, if we could get some of them to stop doing that, <laughs> stop doing that for a little bit and engage with some people that think about maybe the economics more holistically, that think about, you know, the experience of patients and understand what it's like in the trenches of people trying to get care. And that yes, CMS takes care of the sickest and the poorest people through Medicare and Medicaid. But what about the, you know, huge million, numbers of millions of everybody else that's forced into this terrible system that they are, you know, trying to build for all of us. Um, so, you know, just again, trying to say, we all need to talk together and think about, and, you know, have some really good discussion about what really does work. And are we really helping people to, you know, force everybody into this big, clunky, expensive system? Yeah, you're right. And it's not, it's not just that they don't understand it. It's, it's so many times it feels like they're against it. You know, I don't know how much you know about Medicare rules, but if you're in a DPC arrangement and you're a Medicare patient, they don't like that at all, at all. They won't even take any recommendations from your doctor. Uh, so if you're seeing a DPC doctor and he refers you for something, it's like it never happened. Now you've got to go see a doctor that accepts Medicare and go through that whole process again. So uh, anything that happens in that direct primary care to them, that doesn't exist. And it it's wrong because they're getting better care than, so I need now to go over to see a doctor that's going to give me five minutes. Well, what is that doctor really going to do? He's going to refer you to someone else because he's not going to sign off on whatever it was this doctor said because he's not going to give it the time to look at it. It's it's such a, to your point, it's such a screwed up system. Now let's talk about a little bit of hope here. Let's talk about a little bit of hope towards a direct primary care. 
It may not be exactly what we would have put in there, but we do know that Medicaid is doing a little bit of test on some DPC model things. Um, once again, uh, what to what extent, I'm not exactly sure, but at least they know, I think they know what the letters stand for. I think they do. I'm not 100% sure, but I think they know what the DPC stands for, and they're trying that model out in a limited capacity on some Medicaid plans. It, I believe from what I've read, and I'm, I'm kind of being silly here, folks, but that they do see some of the disparity that happens at the Medicaid level is because people are not getting access to health care. Shocking. Mm -hmm. Here you have free access to health care. No, you don't. I can't find a doctor to see me. No, I don't. I can't have a doctor spend any time with me. No, I don't. The doctor doesn't listen to me. Well, all of these things are fixed in direct primary care. So maybe in this limited look at it they'll learn some more cautionary mm -hmm. tale here cautionary cautionary are they really using direct primary care or are they using what's called direct primary care by a hospital system because if they're using some of these direct primary cares that have been put together by hospital systems that ain't it it's just <laughs> it, it's lipstick on a pig right it's the same yeah. damn thing you had before they just threw some lipstick on a pig and called it direct primary care yeah that's not what it is yeah i do have i do have an issue with the way the term direct primary care is used incorrectly for the purpose of misleading. Um, in my view, of course, it has to be primary care. You have to be seeing a generalist. Um, that's, you know, implied in the name. I think the thing you have to insist and people need to, you know, be tuned in and ask some questions and, and look at it from that angle is it truly direct? You have to be sure there's no insurance company in the middle, no program like Medicare or Medicaid in the middle. Nobody is telling the doctor what to do. Nobody is giving the doctor an incentive or a kickback to refer into a specific network because that's not direct. That's yeah. somebody trying to be in the middle of the doctor-patient relationship. So in my view, that's really what's key. And people shouldn't be saying it's direct primary care if it isn't direct, in my opinion. I, I agree with you. I, I just think it's interesting. There's no, uh, there's nothing out there that no one has direct primary care copyrighted. Direct primary care doctors those that have those practices can tell you what it is. Gail can tell you what it is. I can tell you what it is. But someone can go out there and call it direct primary care that isn't necessarily direct primary care. Mm -hmm. Hospitals are doing it. Hospital systems are doing it right now. Certain large uh, physician groups are doing it now. So that's a little bit of caution. But there is some good news because at least the, the the name itself is being recognized in some levels of government. Maybe there'll be a true adoption of it at some point. But the other thing, and this is the biggest joyful thing that I have seen that gives me hope for the future for direct primary care. At three of the last major conferences that I went to, the Hint Conference, FMMA, and then uh, the Free to Care Conference that I went to last year, one of the things that I love to see was a number of medical students that were there. Sure. The medical students that whether they came on their own or they came via a scholarship that that, that actual conference provided, they were there 
to learn more or because they had already decided they were going down this route and they want to start making connections for whenever they got out that they had the right connections to, to move that direction. That mm-hmm. is a beautiful thing to see because what we're, what we're seeing at that point, right? We're not going to see somebody that came out, got in the system for 10, 15 years, and then had to fight their way out and start a practice. Now, these folks are going to walk out of medical school after they've done their time, right? After, after they, they've, they've served the time they have to, to finish getting their medical degree, um, because you got to have so many hours watching, learning. Uh, once you get that, once they've done that, they're going to step right into direct primary care. That's going to open up. Here's what I love about this. They're young. That's going to open up a whole nother generation to direct primary care that don't want to go to someone old like me. They don't want to go to someone, you know, they look at it differently, right? So this person's yeah. going to step out in their late 20s or 30s as a direct primary care doctor and they're going to get a whole different group of clientele that is all of a sudden willing to listen to them that won't listen to folks that are old and over the hill like me. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I agree that is a very hopeful sign. And I think there's a number of, of repercussions. Hopefully, they will be able to stay connected to their medical school and the the kids, kids, I shouldn't yep. say kids, the young yeah. folks who are still finishing up their degree and give them some hints, give them some insight, offer it as an option. And over time, hopefully some of the, you know, not only the curriculum, but maybe just, you know, kind of the attitude of some of the professors and the programs of medical schools can just be more open to this is a very good option, you know, and maybe it isn't for everyone. Maybe it isn't for every single patient. Um, maybe it isn't for every single, you know, small business or large employer, um, whoever it might be. And I, you know, I certainly um, don't want to come across as someone that says this is the only way to do things. Yeah. I feel like by far it's the best, um, but every person should make their own choice. And just as I don't like it when, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, the government in any other way or anybody else for that matter, forces anybody to either do a certain thing or not do a certain thing um, just because it's their opinion um, that it should be that way. I don't want to come across as somebody that says, you know, I promote DPC and we have to outlaw everything else. We have to yeah. forbid, Agreed. you know, insurance to be used to pay for primary care. To me, it's about making it more like what works so well in every other part of the economy is a lot of choice, a lot of options, a lot of personalization, a lot of people able to shop and find what works for their preferences, for their for their money, for their, you know, their willingness to drive across town to go to somebody they really like. You know, we should think about it just like we think about shopping for, paying for all other kinds of goods and services. And beyond that, I think one of the biggest ways that we have gotten ourselves into this mess with the way the healthcare system is so ineffective and dysfunctional is that we feel like, we seem to feel like that everybody has to be in the same so-called system for the poorest among us, the sickest among us to have what they need. Um, And so because of that mindset, we've created this monstrosity, whereas we don't do that, we don't think that way 
when it comes to things like making sure everybody has enough to eat, we have programs at the local level geared to the specific challenge. So, you know, and we let the people that have means or the people that, you know, don't need the, you know, guidance to find the right food or to find the food that they like or to find enough food, we don't try to tell them how they have to do everything. So let's do the same thing in healthcare. Let's use our ingenuity. Let's use our, our way that we care for our own local communities and make sure that people that do need help, do need assistance with affording care or finding access. Let's do it at the local level and not try to force everybody into some big system because we think that's the only way to ensure that the sickest and the poorest among us can get what they need. Yeah, that, that's a great point. In healthcare, just like in everything else, in healthcare, it is not a one size fits all, but it is very much looked at that way in in so many ways. You know, I've I've said this so many times that the government themselves is very confused about what healthcare is. Um, if you don't believe me then where do you go to buy your health care? Oh, wait, you don't buy health care on healthcare.gov. All you buy is health insurance. And they're not the same thing. You cannot buy one iota of health care on healthcare.gov. So why did they name it that? Why isn't healthinsurance.gov? Because they, they have no idea, right? They don't even know what health care is. And every time there is a talk, in Congress, at leadership, uh, in the White House, doesn't matter. It's never really about health care, is it? It's never about health care. It's about health insurance and getting people better access to health insurance. I promise you, Blue Cross, United, and none of them guys are giving you any health care. That's not what they do. Now, right. yeah, they employ physicians and stuff now. Yes, they do. But they're still not giving you health care. They're selling you health insurance. It's not the same thing. And until we can get over that mentality, because we've been brainwashed on it for years, we're yeah. still going to be stuck in the same rut. And we're still going to think one size fits all. And to your point earlier, we're still going to have people pushing for single payer, for a nationalized healthcare system that they think will fix the problem when actually all it'll do is make it worse. Yeah, it's hard to imagine it getting a lot worse. But I, you know, every time I think things can't get worse, then here we go. <laughs> Things get right. worse. Well, 20% of our economy is towards healthcare right now, 20%. If we had socialized medicine, it's only going to go up. It, it can't go down from there. It can only go up. So, you know, I don't see how anyone could think that it wouldn't be worse by going that. Okay, never mind. Because it's always better, right? Because it's my idea. It's always better. I understand that. I get it. <laughs> Uh, well, Gail, I sure appreciate you being on the show. I have taken up way too much of your time today, but it has been an awesome, awesome conversation. I love your insight on things. It's always great to meet people that have really the same passion for something. Uh, and, and you clearly have the same passion for uh, direct primary care as I do, but a different point of view on it. You come from a totally different background. You, you come at it a totally different direction. So it's always great to hear insights like that. And I, I hope the folks that have listened in today uh, have, have seen that because once again, totally different 
parts of the world that we look at things from, but we agree on one thing, and that is direct primary care has the opportunity with the right support, it has the opportunity to fundamentally change access to healthcare in this country. Yeah. If someone wants to reach out and talk to you some more, Gail, if uh, a doctor's out there and they want to find your podcast or they want to talk to you about uh, helping them change their mindset, how can they reach you? Absolutely. So my website is primarycaremindset.com. And right now it goes directly to the podcast, Nurturing the Heart of Family Practice. And I am working on getting my website in place. So there's a little bit more information about how to reach me, the kinds of research I do, my background, and just you know a little bit more information about what I'm trying to accomplish. And certainly if people are interested in, in reaching me directly, they may email me at hello at primarycaremindset.com. And I do want to thank you, Harlan. It's been really a great discussion. Um, I love your energy and your passion for this. And, um, you know, I can't help but think with um, people so passionate and, and so determined, um, we are going to continue to make headway and, and make this better over time. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Hey, folks, go out there and connect with Gail on LinkedIn as well. Uh, you'll get to find some great content. Uh, go out there to find her. Make sure you listen to how I'm spelling it. Gail, G-A-Y-L-E, Brecky, B-R-E-K-K-E. Find her out there on LinkedIn. I'm sure she'd be happy to connect. She's got a couple connections already. You might be surprised. You never know what you'll find on there. That's right. Pretty popular lady. Gail, once again, thank you so much for being with us on the Health and Wealth Power Hour. Uh, I'm a huge supporter of yours and hope to stay uh, connected with you. Maybe we'll see each other at some conferences and such coming up here in 2024 as well. That sounds great. Thank you so much. All right. Hey, folks, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget, if you want to subscribe to the Health and Wealth Power Hour, you can go out to hwpowerhour.com. And don't forget, the last Tuesday of every month, we get going on who knows what, but we're going to tackle the crazy subject of why does healthcare suck? That's right. Every last Tuesday of the month, LinkedIn Audio Room. Be sure and join us there. Uh, we're going to... Uh, just tackle all the different parts of healthcare. Sometimes we're going to even have happy shows like we did in December. Remember the 26th? If you didn't listen in, you can go out there and find a link to it at your insurance, your choice. We talked about healthcare heroes back on the 26th of December. Had a wonderful talk about that. Be sure to go out there and check that talk out as well. Everyone have an incredibly blessed week. Thank you. We'll catch you next time on Health and Wealth Power Hour. We are out.